This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. It's time for Thriller Thursdays here on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Chapter 12 The moon seemed enormous in the desert night, and the field of stars above seemed to roll on forever. The night hung close to the low rooftops of Luxor, and put on a more breathtaking display than they could ever over a big city like Cairo, or Toronto for that matter. A girl who would spend almost every night of her young life deep within a city sure could get used to stars like that, Baxter reflected, and not for the first time. As the night wore on, the flying squirrel found her eyes drifting to the heavens on display more often than perhaps they should have, but she was certain that the boss had things under control. "'Anything yet?' she asked at last. "'Our playmates haven't so much as shifted in their seats for an hour,' the red panda replied gravely. You sure they're not dummies? she asked helpfully. Thanks, he said wryly. I have them on infrared. Not going to be easy tracking them when they do move, she offered, still not looking. Rooftop density ain't what it could be, and we don't know the terrain. I think we'll make out all right, he said. What's your basin on? An abiding faith in the power of dumb luck, he offered. She smiled and looked away from the stars toward the shadows where he crouched, watching. She shifted her ground and leaned around him to gain a better view of the street below. The maneuver brought her body closer to his than she usually allowed herself to get, but she resisted the impulse to correct this, in part because she didn't want to draw attention to this sudden proximity, and in part because she wondered how long she could get away with it. They watched in silence like that for several minutes, until she had to admit that she was not focused on the task at hand in the least, but simply on the sheer nearness of the red panda, and as such she was actually slightly less help to him than during the time she had spent looking at the stars. She shifted away, and gave her head a little shake. From the moment they had arrived in Luxor, they had been aware that they were being watched. They had checked into their hotel under a new pair of assumed identities, supposedly as brother and sister, which was visually unlikely and disturbed Kit Baxter on a number of levels, but she supposed they didn't really need to be fooling anyone. Apart from perhaps the desk clerk, and even he had looked suspicious when he had assigned them adjoining rooms on the hotel's top floor. Night had quickly fallen, and they had put on their work clothes and stepped out into the darkness to watch the watchers. The flying squirrel had been delighted at the prospect of a little action at last, except that three hours later they still hadn't budged. "'Think they've got someone on the back door?' she asked. He nodded. "'I imagine they would have to,' he said. "'I also don't imagine there's much use in splitting up. Wherever they make their move from, these two mugs will know about it.' 
Her face broke into a wild, toothy grin. "'Say these two mugs again,' she said breathlessly. "'No,' he protested. "'Will you cut that out?' He didn't sound like he wanted her to. In fact, if he had really wanted her to stop, he wouldn't have said anything at all, just allowed a blanket of silent disapproval to settle over the little corner of the rooftop. So obviously, she pushed things a little further. "'I can't help myself,' she said. "'It's like a Cagney movie up here. Did you sneak out to the pictures behind my back?' He said nothing to that, and for a moment Kit thought she might have carried the act too far. But then she noticed the coiled tension creeping into his muscles as he waited, preparing him for action in an instant. "'We've got movement,' he said. She leaned around him, close to him again, but this time neither of them noticed. This was business. A tall, dark man in a fez was running down the steps of the hotel toward the parked car they had been watching all this time. "'Looks like the man in the back was the one that went in,' she said. "'I don't know what they were waiting for,' he said disparagingly. "'Well,' she offered, "'the last one that surprised you in your hotel room got thrown from the top floor.' "'Yes, but this hotel is only four stories high,' he said with mock sincerity. "'Ah,' she said sagely, as if this were a very interesting point. The two men in the car got out as their confederate approached, and there was a hasty discussion in the street. "'You're right about the rooftops,' he said, never taking his eyes off the men. "'Not sure a run is going to work, and we can't afford to miss this lead.' "'So what do we do?' she asked. "'Dive in and pound some truth out of them?' "'We can't run the risk that they're just hired muscle,' the Red Panda said, "'and I don't want to tip our hand if we can help it. "'They were sent here for us, either to watch us or something more serious. "'In any event, they've lost us. What will they do?' "'Go home and get a good night's sleep?' she asked brightly. "'They'll go report to the boss,' he said, "'the menace in back of this.' "'And that's our best chance of finding Max. I get it,' she said. Sometimes she was not entirely certain that he knew when she was kidding. "'So what do we do?' He was already on the move, slipping into the shadows along the side of the building. "'You take the high road, and I'll take the low road,' he said. "'Keep your radio ring open. One of us ought to make it where we're going.' "'Roger that,' she said, extending her arms and flexing her hands in a very particular manner. As she did so, she triggered the controls that released the remarkable gliding membranes concealed beneath the arms of her costume. They made a very slight flapping noise in the breeze. Kit pulled her arms in tightly against her body to restrain them, and yanked down the flying goggles built into her cowl as she watched the men look hastily up and down the street— as though on the off chance that they might find their missing targets out for an unexpected stroll. The men ran back to their car. This wasn't going to be easy. She was only six stories up, which was not a lot of altitude for a long flight, even if you were very good at this sort of thing. Parts of Luxor would lend themselves to a run-and-glide style, but there were other long stretches where she would be in the middle of nowhere, with only the strategic firing of her static shoes to keep her aloft— just like gliding across the Don Valley at night, she supposed. Except there, she knew the terrain, and wasn't in a de facto foot race with a red panda, one which she was quite determined not to lose. She decided to give the stooges below the benefit of the doubt, and supposed that they had their getaway car pointed in the right direction. She stepped off the edge of the building and into the night air. She fired the static shoes to repel her upwards away from the rooftop, and arched her back to pull up, fighting for all the altitude she could get. 
A crosswind bucked her backwards like a mule, but she wrestled with it for a moment and mastered it, using it to lift her still higher as she circled around. She turned her body back toward the now-moving car, and the race was on. The flying squirrel could not afford to lose any altitude to slow down, and she was grateful that her quarry seemed to be in a tremendous hurry to get home and report the bad news. The car whipped through what traffic it encountered, and Kit kept pace well through the twists and turns of downtown. Focused entirely upon the task at hand, the flying squirrel had no time to wonder what had become of the red panda, but with a getaway car traveling at close to top speed, she had good reason to believe that she was winning the race. After ten harrowing minutes of bobbing and weaving around buildings and over rooftops, she could see a long, dark stretch coming up ahead, and knew that if the car did not change its course, it would soon leave the lights of town behind and plunge into that unknown blackness. If only there were some way of activating the night vision setting in her flight goggles without folding her gliders and losing both speed and altitude. She almost never used it when she was gliding, as it felt unnatural to her, and made her question what she was seeing while making split-second decisions, but she had to admit that they would make a long flight through pitch darkness less concerting. Still, there was nothing for it now. The flying squirrel pushed for every iota of speed, and felt the wind whipping past her as she closed the distance between herself and the fleeing car. She knew that in an instant she would only have the headlights of the car she was following, not only to track her quarry's progress, but to judge her own distance from the ground, and to define the road itself, as the space immediately above it would be the only known obstacle-free path through the darkness. Just moments before they left the lights behind, she actually began to overtake the automobile, and she noticed with surprise that the car's rumble seat was open. She was fighting a tailwind for control, but she couldn't help a curious glance down, where she saw in amazement that there was a man's shape lying prone on the open seat. It took her an instant to realize that it was the Red Panda, lying comfortably as the car raced ahead to its destination. He smiled and waved his hand at her slightly, keeping it below the level of the car's rear window. She began to mouth an epithet at him, but at that moment the car was swallowed up in blackness and the flying squirrel with it. The journey through the almost utter darkness was not more than another six minutes, though to Kit Baxter it felt like a harrowing eternity. She was determined not to fall behind. In the end, the car stopped so suddenly that Kit had to veer off hard to the right to avoid sailing clean over it and landing neatly in the headlights. She was already low by this point, but still moving fast, and there was little time for her to repel herself with the static shoes to soften her landing. She rolled as she landed, and the dry scrub rustled as she passed through it before throwing herself flat against the hard earth. The three men paused as they stepped from the car, and Kit could see them considering the space where the slight sound had come from for a moment before dismissing it and heading for their destination. A rundown, but still slightly home, far away from any neighbors, and surrounded by a stone wall. It looked like the sort of building that was sometimes built by British officials far from home. Clearly some money had gone into its construction, but it felt out of place here, and when its original masters had left it, it appeared no one had wanted it, until now. There were lights in the windows of the lower levels, and the men were making for the door with urgency, but with the ease of familiarity. Jackpot. She tapped the side of her goggles quickly to activate the night vision setting. Better late than never, she supposed, if only just. But she was more or less in one piece, and she would have won the race if the Red Panda hadn't cheated. The lenses flashed to life, illuminating the world around her in shades of grey. 
The surrounding landscape looked deserted for miles. Where was the red panda? One look at the car through the grainy imaging of the night vision goggles confirmed that the rumble seat was now stowed, which meant that he had safely left his perch before the car's occupants had opened their doors. She tapped the goggles again, and the settings changed to infrared. It was only then that she could see him, already almost up to the darkened second story of the old house. She raced across the empty road and through the dusty front yard and was at his side in moments. He did not turn, but held his right hand up at his side, as if to instruct her to slow down and be silent. She had any number of quips to make about his method of travel, not least of which were some unsubtle suggestions that the next time he stretched out in a rumble seat, he ought to let her squeeze in with him. She particularly longed to watch his ears turn red when she said squeeze, but it seemed like it would have to wait. A moment later, he had jimmied a window, and they were standing in a darkened room on the building's second floor. He touched the side of his mask, and the blank white eye lenses flashed with a faint glow just for an instant. She knew that he had switched to night vision, and she adjusted her goggles to match. The room was empty of furnishings, but appeared to have once been a sizable study. There were a number of bedrolls on the floor, and it seemed as if it were now used as a barracks of sorts. He nodded to her and opened the door exposing a length of blackened hallway with some spill of light from a staircase at the far end. They moved out into the hall, and could hear an angry voice berating the men who had just returned. The words were indistinct, but the meaning was clear, as was the identity of the speaker. Kit reached out and touched the red panda's arm, and he turned and nodded to indicate that he had heard. It was their old friend, Elnumer. There were four more doors on the upper level, all of them between the searchers and the stairs. They moved to each, in turn, and scanned the darkness within for signs of Maxwell Falcone. One room held several more bedrolls, more privacy than the first chamber to be sure, but not that much. Another was a bathroom, which had the general appearance of having been shared by a large group of men for a number of days. The other two were set up for single occupancy, and each contained an actual bed. Hardly the Ritz, but, comparatively speaking, it wasn't hard to guess that these chambers belonged to Pavley and Thatcher, if two such people actually existed. The masked heroes searched each room quickly, but found them devoid of any papers or possible clues. The stream of angry words from downstairs was relentless, switching furiously back and forth between English and Arabic. At last another voice called out, in a tone that seemed to rattle the windows like thunder. Enough! The red panda and the flying squirrel quickly exchanged a look and broke back toward the hallway to hear as much of what followed as they could. It was you, my dear captain, who bungled this operation, the voice said, dripping with menace. It was you who failed to subdue this mysterious stranger, bested by a mere girl. But Thatcher Effendi, Elnumer's voice protested to no effect, you who failed even to learn his real name, who failed to take this woman hostage, the voice continued. You told him of the eye of Anubis. If any, he must have already known. You took him to the old man, the one solid lead we might have had, Thatcher berated. The old man would never have talked to us, Effendi. Master Pavli knows that, Elnumer protested. 
and this man might have followed the clues the old man gave him and led us right to the eye or to Falcone, which would be the next best thing, another voice said. It was calmer than the voice, identified as Thatcher, and bore a slight accent that was not Egyptian but might have been Greek. This could be Pavli. He might have done, Captain, had you not failed so completely. And now, when your incompetence has been so far indulged, Thatcher broke in again, you have the gall to berate your men for losing him tonight? You are overmatched, Captain. You have been beaten, and we cannot afford that kind of failure. My Lord Thatcher, Elnumer's voice called out in fear, I beg of you, do not... There was a crackle of otherworldly energy that rang through the building, and El Numer cried out in anguish. Kit stepped forward as if to throw herself over the banister and into the fray on an impulse, but the red panda grabbed her arm and motioned back the way they had come in. The eye of Anubis is a mighty prize, a voice boomed in anger, and Maxwell Falcone is the key. If we lose either of them due to your bungling captain, you will suffer as no man before ever has. The unearthly light flashed again, and the tortured cries of El Numer rang out through the house. But the upper levels were empty except for the silent darkness of the night. Thank you for listening to Thursday Thrillers right here on the Mutual Audio Network. Please consider subscribing to other days of the Mutual Feeds, including Monday Matinee for classic live and theatrical audio plays, Tuesday Terrors for horror audio drama, Wednesday Wonders, our science fiction and fantasy magazine, Friday Follies, our end-of-the-week comedy series, Saturday Story Circle for kids and families alike, and Sunday Showcase, bringing you the very newest in audio releases from our United Artists of Audio right here on the Mutual Audio Network. The Mutual Audio Drama Network, where we listen and imagine together. <laughs>